This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to white women losing their marbles. I am Joe Lipset, and I am joined, as always, by Gina Radcliffe. Hello. As well as Jen Adams. Hello. And ladies, we are talking about the ex-prequel Pearl today. And Jen, I believe this was a you suggestion. Yes, I love this movie so much. There's so much to talk about. Like, this is the the definition of, like, a Jen movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm curious. How did the two of you feel about X? And how do you feel about Pearl by comparison? I love, love, loved X. I think I actually like X better than I like Pearl. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's a lot to talk about with Pearl and, I mean, with X, but I think Pearl is a little more aligned to the types of stuff that I tend to, like, write about. Like, there's a great female villain. I feel like she is front and center the whole time. But I I think X is, for me, just a little bit more enjoyable to watch. But that's, like, an A and an A- minus kind of situation you know i love both of them hmm. yeah i would say that i would agree that x is the more fun movie to watch because it is more of a a straightforward slasher mm-hmm. movie whereas pearl is like, surprisingly yeah. sad yeah. <laughs> you know way way more than you would expect with the same character to to go it's a really interesting take on how, how a monster is made basically mm-hmm Yeah, it's interesting because when they announced it, so X obviously came out first, and then at the end of X, uh, select audiences were privy to a prequel trailer, and it was revealed that they had shot them mostly simultaneously in New Zealand, and nobody really knew that A24 had given Ty West just a a couple of extra million dollars to go and do this extra movie, but... I feel like the the key difference is that Mia Goth co-wrote Pearl, the prequel, with Mm -hmm. him. And this film, as you said, Jen, it really puts its female villain front and center. But you're also right, Gina. It is kind of a sad, almost modeling affair, right? Which is Mm -hmm. an interesting path to take for a prequel where we default assume we already know where the story's going to go. Mm -hmm. Right. Going into this also, I knew absolutely nothing about it. I knew it was a prequel to X, but I think in my mind, I was confusing it with Maxine because Mm. I had heard that. So I thought it was going to be a prequel to Maxine. It was going to be like her on the farm with her super religious father. And so going in, I was like, what is this? And at first I was really annoyed. The, The affected speech really bothered me for like 15 minutes and then... I was like, oh, okay. I kind of relaxed into it. It stopped feeling like a shtick. And I just fell in love with the movie and the story. <laughs> yeah, I I think like you, Jen, I enjoy X more as a kind of standalone film. I think mm-hmm. that Pearl works well when you know what's to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the biggest fan of prequels, I'll confess. So mm-hmm. part of me was like, well, I'm not really sure that this movie does enough to justify its own existence, blah, 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 <laughs> blah. But 
I will say as a showpiece for Mia Goth and her talents as a leading actress, this movie is really kind of a showstopper, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that I saw at the theater and it's about a half full theater and everybody was just like silent during that monologue. And, and mm. how long is it? They said it was like eight minutes long. Where she's just she's just talking almost directly into the camera at times, and and it mm-hmm. and it just it's I mean I've I've honestly never seen anything like that in a horror movie. Yeah, it's weird, right? The movie just kind of stops to give this monologue the links of which, yeah, I confess I have not seen maybe ever, and it's so unshowy because it just trusts that goth is going to be able to deliver this unflinchingly with brutal emotional honesty and what appears to be like one to two takes to get this all done right mm-hmm. it feels natural you know she starts crying in the middle of it it's 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 possible that she's lying about how bad she feels. I don't think she is actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that she does feel remorseful in you know in how angry she is and and you know the the, the bad things that she's done. Yeah, you know, I believe her, which you know maybe to you know to to you know may end up with me getting an axe in my forehead <laughs> afterwards. But mm-hmm. but. You know, if she if this is all a put on to to have her her sister in law yes. uh, uh, sympathize with her, she's very she's very good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching this, and if this monologue had not existed in the movie, I would have written this essay about this movie. It is very much like the kind of story that I like to examine. You know, because I agree, I do feel bad for her. I don't think she really wanted to kill anyone, but I love the way the film is showing that she didn't really feel like she had any options and she chose her own happiness over doing things that she knows other people would think are wrong. And I love a character who will actually do that, you know? Yeah, this is very much up your alley, Jen, where <laughs> very it's much, yeah. women who are willing to go against standards of decency and societally imposed restrictions to say, no, I need to do the things that are going to make me happy. And I mm-hmm. think the tragedy is that Pearl legitimately believes that she is trying to improve her own quality of life. And it just so happens that she's absolutely wrong and she inadvertently kills everyone that she either loves or who was trying to help guide her down a maybe a safer but more constricting path mm-hmm. well it's interesting that she um she feels that her only way out of this this little town is for her to become this you know, star of stage and screen mm-hmm. she wants to be a dancer she wants to be an actor i mean the problem is she's not very talented <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> She really has deluded herself into thinking, and I guess she's supposed to be what, like nineteen, twenty. She's not supposed to be that old, mm-hmm. uh, but she's really convinced herself that this is the only way. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that it's like Pearl. There are other ways you can, you can, <laughs> you know, you you. There are other paths you could possibly take. I mean, it wasn't, you know, by by nineteen nineteen or whatever this supposed to be. It wasn't that constricting and and you know her husband seemed to genuinely care about her and and 
you know, would probably support her if she, I don't know, she wanted to go to like a women's college or be a teacher mm -hmm. or something like that. But she felt the only way was for her to become like a chorus girl, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you're already kind of limiting your options right then and there. Mm -hmm. So is this movie then at the end of the day, a bit of a parable about the dangers of getting lost in the fantasy? Because you're right, Gina, this is a long shot at best, even if she has the goods, which I think the movie is careful to say she could have some talent, but also she's not exactly everyone's cup of tea and her chances of success are limited, verging on nil. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I think it's so interesting how you could see that if her mom hadn't been so restrictive, if she hadn't gotten her head lost in the follies, if this projectionist had been upfront with her and said, you know what, I just want to sleep with you. I don't actually think you have the goods to become a star. Like, there's all of these interesting factors that turn Pearl into who she is. And yet I think we can also all agree she might have slash probably would have ended up committing a bunch of murders regardless. <laughs> oh, she's definitely mentally, she's definitely mentally ill. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she has, you know, pretty unhealthy obsession with sex. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in spite of that, she's also very emotionally immature, right. which is a, a you know, weird and uncomfortable combination. <laughs> it's a dangerous one for sure. <laughs> You know, I, I, I get the sense that there may have been, and I completely just pulling this out of the air, but it just kind of goes with the whole lurid feeling of that, that there was probably something going on with her and her dad before her, her dad, whatever the hell happened to her dad. Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, the mom makes it sound like there had been a first wave of this flu and that's what made him crippled. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe the mom poisoned him. She, she's 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 a she she's a piece of work too. You know, yeah. I mean. So, but I mean, you know, Pearl's just like you know, like I said, she's a grown woman taking baths in front of this man, who you know is somewhat lucid, but not quite. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's weird. And and you know, the way she talks to him, it kind of you know handles him. There's just there's there's all this weird element and yeah, I mean it's not just the the delusion that she's gonna become a, a superstar that's the problem here. She probably would have gotten obsessed with whatever career path she thought she needed to take to get out of town. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast a little a while ago and they were talking about women and equal opportunity and that if women since the dawn of history had had as many opportunities as men, and I'm generalizing here, that we might have had a lot more female serial killers or a lot more female monsters, or we uh -oh. might know about a lot more violent and awful women. And I think like, I want to be real careful when I talk about Pearl because I love her because mm -hmm. I think she's fascinating. I do think she is a villain. I do not think she should kill these people. Um, oh, no, and no, I no. think she was going to regardless. But I think the conversation that I had exiting the theater was, was she always this murderer or was she pushed toward it? Did she have these kind of violent tendencies but in a better scenario, would she have been able to overcome them and kind of deal with them? Like now we could send her to therapy or we could like try to get her some counseling or something, you know, but those options weren't around then. And I think when when I look at Maxine in X, I think they're very similar characters. Maxine just has a lot more options. And if I compare that to Pearl's mother, she has even fewer options. So it's just to me, it becomes this really interesting study of 
like slowly getting more freedom, but it still like leads you to feeling the same kind of repression, you know, or judgment. Yeah. Well, with Pearl, like I found it interesting. She didn't really seem to have any friends. Yeah. No. Yeah. The only, the only, the only, only friend she really had was her sister-in-law who I, I felt that the sister-in-law actually cared about her. I did too. I, did too. Mm-hmm. I think that she, you know, felt very awkward that she got the part over, over Pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that she might have been you know, the only person who actually cared about her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the closest person she had to a friend. So it's like, well, is, does she not have any friends because she's so isolated? Or has she driven all her friends away <laughs> at, at some point? And yeah, I, I think that the that there's probably been you know, a, a gradual sort of like her, her behavior. Because... Obviously, she appeared normal enough at some point that she got married. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, How- Howard was, you know, a rich boy from town. So, you know, clearly he probably had his choice of women he could have married. He married her. Uh, so, you know, either at some point she was a lot better at putting up this sort of facade of normalcy or her decline, you know, really started, you know, happening after Howard left to go to war. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, if anything, one of the things that surprised me the most about Pearl is what gaps it doesn't fill in in our Mm. narrative. Like, I fully went in thinking this was going to pull right up to the curb of X and we would get a better understanding of Howard and Pearl's relationship after she started offing people. And the movie doesn't have any interest in exploring that. It doesn't tell us how she and Howard got together in the first place. Like, we can infer some clues, but all the things you were speculating, Gina, it's like, yeah, we just really don't know. And I think the movie's really smart and deliberate in giving us this little slice of Pearl's life. You know, this is when she finally snapped and went off the rails, but we only know that she was hurting animals before this. So that's like mm-hmm. sociopathic behavior. But you're right, Jen, you know, like, could it have been treated? Could things have gone differently? What happens after Howard returns and finds, like, the entire family has been killed and Pearl has clearly gone off the deep end? Mm-hmm. The film doesn't have any interest in exploring that. It's like, no, I've given you enough. You now yeah. just have to be satisfied and or fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah, and, and we also have to take into consideration with the events of X is that at some point Howard got all, became all right with the idea of her killing people, mm-hmm. which which is like okay, how did that happen? Right, like, like you know, was he afraid of her, or you know, did she just kind of you know wear him down, or was he just as nuts as she was? It's just, it's interesting. It's like it's like okay, at what point did he start just kind of going along with this because we only see him for like a second, yeah, and he and he does look horrified at what he comes home to, yeah, but you know, at some point. You know, over the next, you know, 60 odd years, you know, he sort of became all right with it or, you know, accepting of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's love. Yeah. I guess. Well, and I've realized when I talk about this, I feel like I'm sounding like a murderer. <laughs> or like a psychopath. Jen, do we need to check on you? <laughs> I know. I'm on another list. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it, I think it, you know, it, you, what you're saying is you don't believe that people are born killers. Right. And, and, yeah. and you know, I, I think that that's probably true. You know, I mean, that, that you know, these kinds of things are, are, you know, tragedies of circumstance rather than kind of horror movie style. Just, well, they're just born evil. Right. Yeah. Like, I also think about like how a lot of us felt at the beginning of the pandemic when we were isolated, but yep. we had mm-hmm. Zoom and we had screens and we had phones. And 
I just wonder what she was like before this isolation started and when she is really only seeing her father and her mother. And her mother, I'm sure, is really stressed with this too and how much that's going to exacerbate her whole psychosis. I don't know. I kind of see her kind of getting what she wants in the end of this movie. You know, I do agree she feels bad about all of the killing. I think she feels kind of bad. I think she's willing to, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to keep her up a whole lot. I think she, I think she feels bad about her father and yeah. maybe a little bit about the projectionist. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, and, and, and well, this is before she kills a sister-in-law, but yeah, definitely doesn't feel bad about the mom though. And you know what? I mean, I get it. Yeah, I do I too. <laughs> that mom was terrible. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I totally get from personal experience having a mother who, you know, kind of shuts down any discussion of you moving on and doing something exciting and different from your life with your life and and you know because they are resentful they didn't get to do anything exciting with their lives mm-hmm. you know they blame you for the choices they had to make with their lives so you often choices that had nothing to do with you mm-hmm. or you know happened before you were even born yeah yeah so that is so interesting to me i don't disagree with this but i found ruth the mother played by tandy wright a really interesting kind of captivating character because as much as I do think that she's abusive and horrible and even like withholding, right? Like she could be far more transparent and open and candid with Pearl. Mm -hmm. But I also simultaneously understand where she's coming from. Mm -hmm. Like these are immigrants in a land that is not incredibly hospitable to their people like to the germans because of the events of world war one which are happening right then and there so it's like pearl i get that you have your head lost in the clouds but also we are barely keeping our heads above water i can't have you just running away to fuck a projectionist because we are on the cusp of like being driven off the land losing our house and that kind of stuff like she's incredibly pragmatic she just never says it that way Mm -hmm. so she comes off as really shrill and kind of a harpy And part of me is just like, oh, these two women are not communicating with each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I still like as much as I think Ruth is a villain to Pearl, I don't think that ultimately she is a true villain in the sense of the film, because a lot of what she's saying is right. Mm-hmm. Right, just is how she expresses it. And I I do one of the the best like sort of what's the word I'm looking for, sort of sort of uh, depictions of what kind of person she is. And how, you know, her pride is is her downfall mm-hmm. is, you know, how she treats this gift of a, like a Christmas ham. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the pig. From uh, her in-laws, from Howard's mother. And she just literally leaves it to rot mm-hmm. on her on, on her front porch. Like, doesn't even doesn't even bother throwing it out. Just like, nope, you just put that right over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's just like, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, you could have just you told her to give it to a charity or or something like that but she's just like yeah fuck you for even trying to think i need your charity right. <laughs> you know this is what i think of your charity i'm just gonna let it go to waste you know and, I, and it's like you know in a weird way i get that i i'm not you know, from a you know family of recent immigrants but i get that sort of like being insulted by charity mm-hmm. pride right. you, know, you know what i mean like what makes you think i need this yeah you know and it's like you know, oh you think you're better than me that you're giving me your scraps and you know it's just like you know, they had these pigs. She said she was driving around giving people 
these Christmas hams. It's not a you <laughs> thing, Ruth. It's an everybody thing. It, it's a holiday season thing. Just just take the damn pig. You know? <laughs> you chop it up and feed it to your farm animals. Exactly. Who cares? You know? I mean. Yeah. But yeah, she just puts that down, walks away, pretends it's not even there. And then and it just rots. And I think like. In that gesture, that's where I see her and Pearl are a lot more alike than I think they look like on the surface. Because that is, I think, Pearl just murdering her because she got this part over her. It's like this rage of, like, why do I have to work so hard for everything that I have and I still have a fraction of what you were just given, you know? Just because of who you are, who you were born as, you know, what color your hair is, you know, who your mm-hmm. husband is. The luck of the draw, essentially, just kind of has put her in this position. And I feel like Pearl's mom is just so much more beaten down by it. Right. You know, like, it's like the difference between raising your child to live in the world that exists or raising your child to live in the world that you want for your child. Like, seeing a bigger more options, you know, like she is trying to, I think what she really thinks is that she's trying to teach Pearl how to survive out of love. You know, like this is, this is what we as women do in this world. And you have to stop just flitting around because you're not going to survive if you don't, you know? And I think she sees that as love, but I think Pearl being from a younger generation is just a little bit more willing to say, no, I can make something else for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, when I think about what Pearl actually wants, like, I think she likes the Follies and she likes to sing and dance. And I think that's fun. And I do think she legitimately wants to be a star. But when I think about what that would actually mean, like, she wants people to find her desirable. And I think she wants to have fun and she wants freedom. And she doesn't have any of that when she's living with her parents. But I wonder what her life is going to be like when Howard gets back. Like, he obviously loves her. Um, or at least he did, and he found mm-hmm. her desirable. Now she doesn't have to live with her oppressive parents, so she's got that freedom. So the only thing she really doesn't have is fame, and it seems like that's enough for her for, like, the next 60 years, you know? Well, and I think that that's where the tragedy lies, right? Like, that's why I love the closing of the movie mm-hmm. when Howard actually comes back, because it's like, uh, if only she could have just held on, what, another couple of weeks, but of course in war times you don't know if your husband's ever coming back you don't know when he might come back but mm-hmm. yeah the tragedy of the film is basically just oh pearl you might have been able to have it all minus the stardom but you elected to go a little axe happy and mm-hmm. as a result it's like yeah you basically set up the rest of your life in a way that you didn't want right she ends up trapped in that farmhouse as she was so desperate to get away from and yet that's that's what she ended up doing. She sealed her own future by, I guess, being too ambitious. It's it's a weird thing. Like, part of me feels like the movie is making a bit of a statement about, like, don't try to overreach. And mm-hmm. yet, at the same time, it's also kind of saying, like, well, she might not have snapped if people had been more understanding of her needs and wants. Right. And I think it's a mix of those two things. Like, And I think that usually is what it is. It's not all or nothing, you know? Like, it's Mm. not a chicken or the egg. It's we live in a world where women have less power and less ability, especially Pearl. And she's a little nuts, you know, and she's just happened (laughs) to be born in this into this situation that doesn't support her. I appreciate, Jen, that you mentioned the whole, you know, isolation at the beginning of the pandemic, because obviously there's some 
parallel this <laughs> takes place during the, the the second wave the spanish flu mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's even there's even a, a, a scene the mom wanted to wear a mask which i thought was pretty funny uh-huh. oh my god fuck this woke movie <laughs> yeah right i don't want politics in my heart uh-huh. <laughs> But, uh, you know, what is, what's really, you know, kind of frying her brain at this point is just loneliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought the scariest scene in the whole movie was when the, the projectionist, who kind of seems like he likes her. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he really intends on taking her to Europe with him. No. But, 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 you know, he likes her enough. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, but when, when he catches her in a lie, and he's like, well, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And she just... And she just starts like, like increasingly freaking out on him, mm-hmm. and and he's just like, I, what do I do here? <laughs> oh, I didn't sign up for this crazy. Yeah, bitch. he looks genuinely alarmed, and you know, I, I think that's honestly the because you know, whom's among us hasn't you know felt <laughs> that little. You know, you. What do you mean you're leaving me? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's sort of like rising hysteria, and but you know, most of us, thankfully, you know, have that you know control center in our brains. Is okay, calm down. You don't want to look like a psychopath. This person. Yep. <laughs> yeah. In the words of a, uh, in the words of Do Revenge, she's giving off some big glenergy from <laughs> Fatal Attraction in that yeah. moment, right? She just doesn't. She just doesn't have that control in her brain. Like, okay, tone it down. You know, you're going to scare this person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Yeah. That I I felt that very deeply. I never murdered anybody, but there was um <laughs> I was definitely not the the most level headed person in college to date, and mm-hmm. some boyfriends uh, got pretty scared off. <laughs> not yeah. to get too personal, but I mean, yeah, it happens. But it's like that that panic. I think you said it right. Like, oh my god, you're gonna leave me. You're gonna leave me too. You know, mm-hmm. and there, and she knows. She has no more options. And what I think is interesting about the projectionist, one, I love that he doesn't have a name, that he's just <laughs> kind of like candy for her, you know, until right. he's, well, until he's a body for her. But I love that I, I can't quite tell when he decides not to take her to Paris. Like, I don't know if he ever is actually going to take her no. to Paris. No, I don't stop. No, it. I don't think he is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, even, I, don't even, I, don't even think, I don't even think she's the first person in that town he's given that line to. No. So. But I could see him, and maybe this is just me wanting to believe it, but I could see him, like, if she turned out to be, like, I don't know, like, cool or, like, not so nuts, like, I don't know, maybe they could have a life together. But I wonder no. when it's the decision where he, like, he's like, oh, no, I need to get out of here right now, you know? Oh, my God, Jen, no. <laughs> Gina, you and I are on the exact same page here. This is a line he has given to probably every girl he has slept with in this town and every other town he has passed through. This guy is a bullshitter to the max. <laughs> I was like, maybe they can make it work. She wants to go, too. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think he I don't think he's like I don't think he's like a villain or that he deserves to die, but he's just he's just a Lothario, you know. I mean that this, yeah. is, what he, this is what he does. He's a handsome guy. He looks like Henry Cable, you know. Uh-huh. Like, and he, uh, come here, watch my pornography. <laughs> Which I want. Okay, there are a couple other things that I love about him, but the big thing that I love about him in this movie is that he does not assault her. I was so ready. Right. For a big rape scene and I'm mm-hmm. so glad that we didn't get that I mean I'm you know I'm a fan of the rape revenge genre but I was glad for it just to be like he's just seducing her and you know she's she's using him too you know oh sure yeah so. yeah no I I fully agree I also thought the same thing was gonna happen and that would have been 
I don't like to be the person who's saying, okay, well, you can see that it was co-written by a woman because we don't have that in here. Like, there's plenty of rape revenge films that have been co-written or singularly written by women. But this does feel like a distinctly unique touch where people understood the character psychology of Pearl enough Mm -hmm. to say, you know what? She doesn't even need that because... It's about being desired. It's about her sexual inadequacy or her inexperience, her innocent, her desire to be famous. All of that is enough to drive her that when this attractive man who seems like he could be legitimate but is immediately sending off red flag warnings to everyone in the audience, all it takes is for him to look like he's stepping away from her and she's unhinged enough from all of this other stuff that she will just, she'll turn on it. Like, mm-hmm. I loved that they understood right. that that was enough. Right. Exactly. That not all, like, that there is more that could turn a woman to kill than just being mm-hmm. assaulted. Or yeah. losing your child, you know, that's oh the other one. Oh, my God. The, yeah. the two genders, yeah. I, exactly. Getting yeah, raped and I mean, or losing <laughs> your child. Mm-hmm. It's enough to drive a woman to kill. Right. And not that I don't, you know, there are a lot of movies that I love where that happens. But, I mean, I love that we explore something else here. Because mm-hmm. it makes her feel like a real character. Even though she feels so over the top that it's hard to believe her, you know? Yeah, I want to know, did the two of you anticipate that there would be full-fledged fantasy sequences in this? Like, we get the dance with the scarecrow and the simulated sex, and I saw this as a midnight screening at TIFF, so my audience was properly primed to be kind of raucous and Mm -hmm. very verbal with the film, but... I thought in the descriptions of it where they were saying, you know, we're referencing Douglas Sirk and Wizard of Oz. I really thought that we were going to get almost like visions of what Pearl experiences of the world. And it would be Technicolor and it would be Disney and it would be almost like a musical. And I was kind of surprised we didn't get it, even though we get maybe a baby toe into that arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did like her her fantasy dance sequence and all that. I thought that mm-hmm. was pretty. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I mean, I think that with Wizard of Oz, you know, just kind of the, the everything seemed really bright. Like, right. like, like the colors seemed all very, the colors in certain scenes are very hyper exaggerated. And I just sort of feel like it was maybe sort of more of a vibe than a direct reference to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what I really liked about the fantasy sequences is how reserved they were. You know, with the scarecrow scene, I wasn't quite prepared for that. And at first, I was like, "What are we doing?" (laughs) Yeah, that was weird, especially since so early in the movie, too. Exactly, it really is. Yeah, I think if I were to go back and watch it now again, I think I would love it, and I would be able to just knowing it's coming. You know, like you said, your audience was primed to expect it. And I was not. But what I love about I think the fantasy sequences is that because they are so reserved we never quite lose the fact that we are with Pearl in reality. You know, like, I feel like mm. I can feel the juxtaposition between what Pearl thinks is happening and what is actually happening in a way that I don't always get with movies like like La La Land or something, you know, where we dive all the way into the fantasy sequences or the musical numbers, you know? I feel like mm-hmm. this is really Pearl's fantasy and that's it. Well, do you think that's important for kind of contextualizing the whole film so that even though we understand this is what she's wishing or or thinking is happening, we are always outsiders looking in and sort of judging her or recognizing that she's not all there or that she's not okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it... (sighs) 
it really allows us to kind of look at her life from a distance, I think, which is where we can kind of make the connection. And we also, you know, I feel like an idiot because I didn't realize that Mia Goth played both roles in X. And Mm. so that gave the film a whole new context for me too. But the thing is, we know what the end of her story is going to be also. You know, it's not, I mean, there's a big gap, but we know how she's going to die and we know what she's going to do before she does, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does that then change where you think the story is going to go with Maxine, because obviously it's another Mia Goth performance, Mm -hmm. but presumably set in the late 70s, early 80s, and which, you know, as listeners of this podcast already are familiar with, is kind of the sweet spot for a lot of the movies (laughs) we cover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think this is going to be a full-blown Hollywood satire with like tons of coke and glitter and that kind of stuff? I, mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they want to make it, if they want to make it even more like a, like a, give it more of a Boogie Nights feel and, and X, I would love that. I would 100% love that. Yeah. I still want it to have the same kind of groundedness though. You know, like I love what we were just talking about that we can see the reality behind all of that, you know, because Maxine will be entering that world that she's not creating for herself. She's just going to be trying to survive in it. And I would love to see like the fantasy that she's always had versus the reality of what happens when she gets there, you know? And I want to see her kick some ass and get maybe a little further than, than Pearl did. Yeah. So when Trace and I were talking about this on the horror course, Patreon episode, we debated whether or not we would get flashbacks to Maxine's past. Cause as we've already referenced, Maxine grew up in this religious household with her dad who we've seen glimpsed on the TV in X. So I'm, I'm curious to know if they're going to try to repurpose it to set all three stories within this kind of like agrarian farmhouse environment mm-hmm. Or are we going to completely leave it behind after two movies and set the whole thing in like the down and dirty contemporary Los Angeles period of the 80s? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't know which one I would want. Right? Because I want them all. <laughs> yeah. Because going completely away from this fixed geographical area that we found in Pearl and X, like it's going to make the new film feel completely different. Whereas mm-hmm. I you have to think that they're going to want this to be a bit of a through line. Like all of these women's stories speak to each other or they, they draw reference upon each other. Yeah. And I was thinking like, part of me thinks that we have already seen the movie that we would have seen if we saw Maxine's kind of liberation from her really religious family in Pearl. Is that what, that's what I thought I was going to get when I went to see Pearl. But, but I also think like, I don't know. I think because they are so far apart, like we're not seeing as like sequential generations of women. We're seeing women with big gaps in the middle. And I would love to see kind of a little bit of a filler in there, you know, like were there women around as Maxine was growing up too? And what was her mother like? And maybe her mother was a lot more like Pearl. And I would love to see midlife pearl you know what does her life look like now not necessarily like i don't care so much about seeing it with howard but just like how does she (laughs) how does she keep going forward you know and what what happens in between all of that you know it's kind of like the gap we were talking about yeah like i said I'd i'd like to see how she gets howard to go along with all this yeah right 
You yeah. know who else I would love to see is I'd love to see Brittany Snow's character pop up in uh, in a prequel also, because that was one of the best parts of X also. Mm. Sure, it's a really great part. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, it felt like they made these two so close together and they were able to then draw reference to each other. And mm. I was there when they made that announcement that Maxine was coming. Like, we got to see the teaser. We were the first audience that were privy to it. Oh, wow. And the first thing that everybody wanted to know was, is this new movie already complete? And the answer was no. So part of it is like, oh, they've got some extra time to be, I think, a little bit more deliberate about, okay, does this cap off everything? Like, how is it going to bridge the gaps? Is it going to, or is it just going to abandon Pearl completely? And it's just going to be Maxine's story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, part of me almost wishes like we would get the answer in a couple of months. Like the movie was already ready to go. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm actually worried that we're all going to overthink it, including Ty West and Mia Goth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you do look at X as like the bridge of these two lives, then if Maxine was its own just complete story that doesn't interact with Pearl, it would be like what we have with Pearl. That story does not interact with Maxine's life at all, but there are echoes of it. Right. Yeah. I I feel like we just need those echoes because everyone's looking at this as a trilogy. Like, I I get that the jokey reference in Maxine's title is that it's triple X because she's going to be doing pornography, but it also feels like, oh, it's the third X movie. Like, Mm. this is a complete trilogy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I've got to say, that's that's clever. I didn't think about that. I know. Okay, well, any other thoughts about Pearl? Mm. It's certainly one of the best horror prequels I have seen Ever, maybe it yeah, just it, it it doesn't feel it, it does actually feel like a complete story it right. does it doesn't sort of feel like well you know we have to make more of these so let's let's explain the origins of this character mm-hmm. right i think one of the reasons that it does that is because it obviously has connections to x but also it's not because x was a huge financial success and then ty west had to go back and say okay well people are clamoring for more right like it came about organically because he and mia Goth decided they love this character and they wanted to do this mm-hmm. yeah and i love the horror elements of this movie too you know like i know especially on this show we don't always cover horror in fact a lot of what we do would be more thriller or even comedy you know Mm -hmm. for a large chunk of this movie there is no horror at all except for like just the situation of pearl being trapped in this place that makes her so unhappy and knowing what's going to happen but man when the horror elements kick in they are gruesome they sneak up on you and they are really meaningful to the story and i just really dug it yeah i i don't always love prequels because i I don't appreciate stories that feel like they've already been told. So Mm -hmm. even though we know that Pearl ends up in this house and she and Howard are killing people in the quote unquote present day of X, I was very shocked to see like, oh, the projectionist goes out really early. Mm -hmm. I mean, really early. I'm using air quotes because I think it's more than halfway through the film. But I thought he was going to be the final kill because he was the one who was like, the big bad in her world right like her Mm -hmm. mom goes out super early he goes out super early so yeah and that allows the movie to really just be about her you know Mm -hmm. which i love yeah hard agree hard agree 
Um, okay, well, before we announce where we're headed next, uh, Gina, if people want to get a hold of you to talk about Pearl, or if they take issue, they take umbrance with your claim that this is one of the best horror prequels. Oh, someone will, I, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> a man on the internet? Yeah, no. exactly. Um, I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies focusing on characters. I also write about movies and television at thespool.net, and you can find me on Twitter under Gina Does Things. Okay. And Jen, if people wanted to get a hold of you to talk about other female murderesses, <laughs> how would they reach you? Oh, please do. Uh, yes, you can find me at Jen Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also find me co-hosting the Psychoanalysis Podcast about horror movies and mental health, and the Losers Club Podcast, which is about Stephen King. And just writing and being about town and stuff. Being about town. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if folks want a little bit more of me, I can be reached at B Stolen by Remote, and that's the letter B. And a new episode of Horror Queers comes out every Wednesday. Thanks, as always, to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for hosting the show. Be sure to check out some of the other shows that are in rotation. But, uh, ladies, this is not the end of White Ladies in Crisis. We, I don't know, I, I feel like we need to go back to some erotic thriller territory. And I need to get my Julia Roberts on. So yes. we're going to dip back into the early 90s and talk about one sleeping with the enemy. Yay! I'm grinning so big over here. I love this movie so much. I'm just going to say, before we record that episode, I'm going to need both of you to make sure that the cans are properly organized <laughs> in the cupboard. And the hand towels, too. I was going to say, keep the, make those hand towels nice and straight. I'm just going to play my Berlioz in the background <laughs> for the entire episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. The house porn, oh, the mustache. Mm -hmm. There's so much to discuss with this one. <laughs> All right. Well, until sleeping with the enemy, I guess we can. Uh... If you believe well enough, he's going to take you to Paris, right? <laughs> <laughs> he really is, right? Oh, boy. Oh, I Jen. know. <laughs> oh, Jen of the past. <laughs> <laughs> Scream Pod Squad.